Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Na'ahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakadu alayhi. Wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayi'ati a'malina. Ma yahdihi allahu falamudilla lakh, ma yudlilhu falahadiya lakh. Wa nashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa nashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. وصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فنعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فقال الله تعالى في القرآن الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اصبروا والصابروا ورابقوا واتقوا الله لعلكم تفلحون صدق الله عليه وسلم my beloved brothers and sisters, we praise Allah, we thank Allah, we praise, we thank, we lovingly appreciate Allah. And thus we say, Alhamdulillah. Nahmaduhu, we praise, we thank, we lovingly appreciate Him. Wanasta'inuhu, we seek His help. Wanasta'afiruhu, we seek His forgiveness. We believe in Him and we trust and rely upon Him. And we seek refuge with Allah for the wrong within ourselves and the wrong actions in our actions. And whomever Allah guides, none can misguide. And whomever Allah lets astray, none can guide. And we bear witness that there is no ilah but Allah. There is no master but Allah. We are servants to none but Allah. There is no God but Allah. And we seek from Allah to shower his blessings upon his servant and messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and many more and many more. And as is the case every single week, I ask you the same question that I ask, which is for you and I to take a look at ourselves and ask ourselves what is changing. Now we are at just about the midway point in the semester. And so, as you know, I've been asking this question every single week, way back in August. I asked each of us to project the person we want to be by the time we get to the end of the semester. And the person we want to be in all those different categories of Dean, the condition of our prayers, the condition of our fasts, the condition of our charity, the condition of our character with emphasis on our use of the tongue. And now that we are halfway into the semester, evaluate yourself, what are you today versus last August? Am I the same person I was when we began the semester? Now we're not expecting that last August you, you made some plans, if any, and then now you change your name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you're completely transformed. That's not what we're saying here. We're saying that the goal is consistent change, even if it is small. And if you haven't given yourself a task, a level, then try to do that for today, for the rest of the semester. And the easiest place to start is in the condition of your prayers, the quantity and the quality of your prayers. Those of you who come to my office know that those are the first questions that I'll ask, depending upon what you're going through, whether it's anxiety or something else, faith issues. First questions will be, what is the condition of your diet? What is the condition of your sleep? And what is the condition of your prayers? And that gives us a sense of how and where we need to work. In any case, think of what else is happening in our society at the national level, at the local level, and then in the condition of our hearts. At the national level, the rush for impeachment is racing. It's getting louder and louder. Will it result in impeachment or not? That's question number one. Will our society completely change? Obviously not. 
but assign that or connect that with your own condition because we are also taught that a people get the leaders that they deserve. So we might say that the current head of our country has nothing to do with us, but then, again, look at the condition of your character, look at the condition of the character in our community, whether we're speaking of the Muslim community on campus, the greater student population. And I would suggest not pointing fingers at anybody in this room or at myself, that we may not be as pious and as upright as we imagine ourselves being in comparison with many of the politicians that we critique. Think about it. Now bring this closer to home. I've been doing some reflection. All of you know that, I've, or many of you know that I've been speaking very frequently about the fact that one of the essences of our dean is connection. Right? I say many times that the tradition can be traced back to the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him, which can be traced back to Al-Fatiha, which can be traced back to the Basmallah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, which can be traced back to the B, this connection that is taking place that is being implied through the use of B throughout the whole Quran. Now what is one of the most central of all of your connections? What is one of the most central of all of your relationships? We have your relationship with Allah Ta'ala your relationship with the Prophet, peace be upon him, your relationship with yourself. But you and I know one of the most central relationships in our tradition is the parent-child relationship. Now, except for Ustaza and myself, I don't know if anyone else here has any children, but I want you to look at yourself in the stuff that I share, not as from the perspective of the child, but from the perspective of being a parent. So you and I know how many times or how frequently we are told in the Quran to be good to your parents, and it even comes right after mention of worship of Allah. That is that high. And if your parents, mashallah, are anything like my parents, they've brought that up to you in your life many, many times, that being good to your parents is next to worship of Allah. Apparently this didn't happen to many of you. Okay. But the point is, think of all the parent-child relationships we have in the Quran. One is Luqman Luqman is on his deathbed, and he's talking to his son. He's saying, oh, my little son. And then he's giving him advice on how to live his life. Or we have on the deathbed other prophets saying to their children, who are you going to worship? after this, after I'm gone. Or when we speak in our tradition, we have the Prophet, may peace be upon him, and his children, and you know the story of him and his children, nearly every single one of his children passes away in his lifetime. But I want you to try to get inside the mind of being a parent. Because it's very easy, again, when we're listening to Jumma Khutbahs about parent and child, again, to look at yourself from the child's side. But what is taking place in the mild mind of a parent? So, many parents are my job security. And what I'm saying is, and I'm not insulting any of your parents in particular, that we have many parents who are just completely inept when it comes to being parents. And thus, students come to me. But nearly every parent I've ever met, whether we're talking about parents who have given up everything for their children, or 
they're completely inept as parents. Nearly every parent I've ever met wishes that they could give everything to their child. Literally everything. That any parent, or almost every parent, including those that might manifest their parenting as tyranny, wish they could give everything. They would break their backs for their children. But again, I want you not to think of your parents that way right now, because you've already been told 100,000 times you'd be grateful for your parents. I want you to imagine yourself as the parent. But then, part of the design of this dunya is that you will always have limitations. The biggest limitation is time. You have to spend X hours a day sleeping. You're going to have to spend X hours a day in routine maintenance in order to provide for your child. One or both parents will have to work if both parents are in the same household. And then you have the exhaustion from working, and then you have to try to give nurture to your child. I remember when I first started doing community work right after graduating from, from, from undergrad, and I would sit with my friends who were all not much older than you, just literally almost exactly the same as your age, and we'd talk to each other saying, man, we wish all these elders would just die because they do nothing. Until we all became parents, and then all of us started saying to each other, oh, now I understand. Now take this a step deeper. You and I know that of the deeds that will benefit you after you die, what are they? One is that you raise children who will pray for you. Two is you do sadaqah jariyah. You do a charity that still gives benefit long after you're done. And three, you give some form of learning that people continue to benefit from. So if we look at this idea of raising children that will be praying for you, what else is built into this? That you are investing yourself to raise this child who is upright and is upright enough that they're grateful enough for you that they pray for you. So now let me bring this back to you as children of your parents. The simple question for each and every one of you is how often do you pray for your parents? Some of you do in every single prayer. That I have no doubt about. Some of us might be skipping our prayers, which means that we're skipping our prayers for ourselves, which means we're definitely skipping our prayers for our parents too. And so take this a step further. I made a suggestion a couple Fridays ago that you should not only be praying for all of your ancestors, pray also for all of your descendants too. Pray for your children now. Yeah, most of us will have children. Some of us in this room might never have children, either because we're never put in a position to have children or because of physical, biological reasons we may not have children. But start praying for them now. And then, what else? Start reflecting on what you need to do to be a good parent. So one limitation, that is time. Another limitation is going to be, for most of us in this room, it is going to be money. Meaning the lifestyle that your parents had to put in effort to give you will, if you work the same hours with the same job, by the time you're in the same position, you will not be able to give your children the same lifestyle because that's the nature of inflation in our society, the way the economy is changing. That 
The amount my father, my mother had to work, both of my parents worked full time almost my whole life. The lifestyle that they gave me and my siblings, if I worked at that level, I would not be able to give my children the same lifestyle. And so naturally, this is why many of your parents are telling you to become physicians. But the point is, you're going to have another limitation, which is going to be money. A third limitation is also going to be your own aspirations for your children. Now, what do I mean by this? That we often will fall into the trap of looking at our children as our vanity. Now, you've all heard the line, children reflect their parents, meaning if a child is well-behaved, people will look uh, positively at the parents. If the child is poorly behaved, they'll look, they'll look negatively at the parents. But what is your intention with your child? Now, this sounds very cold and objective, but the point to think about is that your child is a trust from Allah to you. That your child has been given to you by Allah and you've thus been given this responsibility to nurture a servant of Allah. And then in that process, you are teaching your child how to be a benefit to other people. Yet you have this small window in which to do that. And so how is your primary teaching going to take place? Some of it's going to take place by you saying do X, Y, Z. And we'll come back to that part in a second. But how is most of it going to take place? Just by the way you conduct yourself. That your child will conduct themselves in response to what they see in you. Right? We all know this. We all understand this. But I'm asking you to think about this now. Especially when you're in those situations when you have to make tough decisions. Do I do this wrong or right thing? Do I study or do I hang out? Do I go to sleep or do I stay awake? You are teaching yourself behavior by reinforcing habits, but then when you have a child in the future, your child is going to learn all of that. And this is going to create something else in you. Very, very deep guilt. Ask any parent who cares about their children, and you will find just about every parent, especially those that are trying, this immense, immense, deep guilt. And I guarantee you, almost every one of your parents has this too. For every space, every moment that they've fallen short of in providing for you. And it's interesting <coughs> what they will be feeling guilty about will be different than what you might feel they should feel guilty about. So let me explain this point. And I've shared this story with you, so you know my daughter's martial art, give or take almost exactly your age. And so I noticed periodically, and it happened again literally a day or two ago uh, when I was chatting with my older one on the phone, she's a sophomore on the East Coast. And I said, don't forget to study. Now, I'm speaking as a father who's just saying what I need to say. Okay. And so what does she start saying? What makes you say I'm, I'm going to forget to study? Okay. What am I saying? Just don't forget. The same way if someone's traveling, you say safe travels. Okay. 
But I knew this is what she was thinking, so I immediately changed the subject that way, right as she started protesting. And I asked her, what's your sleeping schedule like? Is it Baba style or is it Mama style? So her mother, mashallah, is a machine. Time to go to bed, she's in bed. Time to wake up, she wakes up. And you know, she's super, super successful professionally, et cetera, et cetera. Baba is a little bit different in terms of sleep schedule. Let's just say it's a style of sleeping. So I asked her, which way do you sleep? So she said, yes, somewhere between Baba and Mama. Now what I thought, because I'm also a teacher, was to ask, so do you skip class? And yeah, of course I asked her. And so what did she say? She said, don't ask me any other details, but all I will say is I missed one class this whole semester. Now, why is this interesting? Because I had a student come to the office, I don't remember who it is, so it might have been one of you, who said, I've only missed class, one class this semester. Now, my ear is hearing she missed one hour of class. But what the student revealed was she missed one course this whole semester. Her Tuesday, Thursday class she never attended. It might have been a thousand probably. But what am I saying here? I just said that your parents will be immensely feeling immense guilt for all the ways they've fallen short. But if I ask each of you, make a list of all the ways your parents have fallen short, those are going to be two different lists. If I ask you to make a list of all the times your parents said something and it's stuck in your head in a negative way, they probably won't even realize it because most of those statements will probably just, hey, be safe, don't forget to study, don't forget to go to sleep. So the last big point to think about moving from being parents to children, but as preparation from your parents for you as a life, in your life as parents, is that one of my job securities, I said, is dysfunctional parents, right? That students coming to my office trying to deal with their parents. But what I often find is people spend the rest of their lives running away from their parents. Long after the parents have died, they still keep running away. And I've given the example to some of you of, of a close friend that I grew up with, whose father I knew very well, and none of us liked his father. And as soon as he could, moved out of the house. And as soon as he got a job, he got a job on the East Coast. And that was not enough. He then moved into the Middle East, lived in the Middle East for a while. But then he got sick of the Middle East, came back. But he always lived far away. And all of us who knew him very well knew that he wasn't looking for an ideal place to live. He was just looking to get away from his father. And so when I'm asking you to think about those places where you feel like your parents have fallen short, how much of that is a source for anger or pain? Because that will manifest in how you raise your children. That often we are seeking, we are needing validation from our parents. And if we don't get it, we're going to look for it someplace else. And if we still don't get it, we will even try to get it from our children. And so this is how dysfunction goes from generation to generation to generation. And so the last big point to think about is if you need to make peace with your parents. Now, I will say, just to be fair, quite a few of you have also come to the office and have just, you know, I mean, the ooze of love that you have for your parents, Marshall, is amazing. Yeah. 
But for the rest of us in this room, what do you need to do to make peace with what you were given from your folks? And I'm suggesting these are folks who you might have received what you feel is tyranny, but in their minds are giving you the best that they know how. You might feel it was trauma, but in their minds, they're giving you absolutely everything, which includes all the negative, but there's also tremendous, tremendous guilt for all the different ways they've fallen short. So look at what you need to do to clean your heart so that you can truly raise your child to be someone entrusted by Allah to you who will then be so grateful for the way that they were raised that they will then pray for you. But again, the first step is if you don't do it already, start praying for your parents. The fact of doing that over and over again, the fact of praying for anyone over and over again, if you make it a practice, an active practice, some of your walls of resent will decrease. And so think about that. So going back to what we have in our tradition, I'm suggesting that this parent-child relationship is one of the most central of all relationships. Naturally, we also have the story of Ibrahim and his father. We have Nuh and his son. Even the commentaries on the passages in the Quran where it says Allah brings light from darkness and darkness into, uh, uh, from light. Light from darkness is Ibrahim, Abraham, coming from a father who is abusive and a polytheist. In, in some narrations, even the maker of idols, who then throws them out of the house. And then we have Nuh, one of the greatest of all the prophets, and yet one of his sons turns away. That can happen. Meaning, even with the best of parents, the child can go the wrong direction. And even with the worst of parents, the child can be one of the greatest that the world has ever sees. But in most cases, if you have a healthy relationship, between parent and child, then the child will probably have, by default, healthy relationships. But again, think about this as your future. So we're starting from healing what needs to be healed on course to fixing or to being healthy when you are in this world. In any case, with that, I remind you of the Prophet, may peace be upon him, who lost, who lost Zainab, who lost Ibrahim, who lost Basim. Fatima was his only surviving child. So he has seen that end, the worst end of it all. And that is something that some of you have already gone through, which is the death of a parent or a child. And that will also happen. And so if you have time to repair things with parents, try to figure out how. Not today, not tomorrow, but long term. But if you have lost your parent, then keep praying for them. And in the same way, Love for a tyrannical parent can increase by praying for them. Your love for the parent that you've lost will also keep increasing as well, inshallah. Okay, now we're going to be in the chutbah. Who wants to give the adhan? Okay. Uh, what name do you go by now? Saad? All right. Assalamu alaikum wa